You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Hawkins Labs in the Upside Down. All right, Vocal Fam. Hopefully I got all of that. This should be weird and interesting and fantastic. Um, What... An incredible lineup that we were not expecting to have together until earlier this week uh, do we have for you. Uh, and I'm going to let everybody go around and get a chance to just introduce themselves to the vocal fam. Uh, although I think Kayla's the only first time appearance. So everybody else, vocal fam, you know. So. Um, but uh, Dr. Glasner is back with us yet again. He's all surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I Not thought I was really. done last week, right? Right. Um, and, of course, Sarah's here, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dr. Ian Howell has been on the podcast before. Say hi, Ian. Hey, yo. Nope, you're He's still muted. muted to me. Well, to hey, us. Hey, yo. <laughs> Hello. As long as we get his 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 stuff recorded, That's we don't true. even That's need true. to hear um, Dr. Chadley Ballantyne was with us for the second time. Welcome back, Chadley. It's a pleasure to be back. And of course, Kayla Godero, her first time ever. Kayla, tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, uh, I'm Kayla Godero. I'm so happy to be here today with all of you. Um, I am so pleased to be on my favorite podcast. I mean, Aww. really, this is just like Yay. a really exciting, <laughs> exciting day for me. So um, I am the assistant director alongside Dr. Ian Howell at New England Conservatory for the Vocal Pedagogy Program. So that's basically my primary job. I also have, like other musicians, like seven other jobs. Um, But that's primarily what I do. So I help uh, lead our non-majors through their voice research. And that's what I get to do. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, Dr. Ballantyne's on the faculty at Stetson. Dr. Howell on the faculty at NEC. Josh still on the faculty at Coastal Carolina. Sarah the wonderful voice chilling. teacher at Mount Pisgah uh, Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a- amongst other things in life. Anyway, all right, so Vocal Fam, uh, we are here today to talk about a bit about audio voice platforms and video conferencing. How's everybody's online teaching going? Anybody just want to jump in just to get the ball rolling about their online teaching this week? Okay, go ahead, Ian. Highly variable. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? I think so much matters on so many different parts of the signal chain. Um, So much depends on the technology that students basically had lying around already um, that, you know, I've basically put together and Kayla and I have talked about this a bunch. Like I have a little flow chart I go through with every one of my students the first time we're going to try to find the best possible solution. Um, And, you know, we end up in weird places. Like some people, we end up with Zoom with the audio quality completely like unthrottled and with nice microphones and we do that. And then other people just have like an old laptop that their uncle loaned them. And the microphone has its own very peculiar (laughs) behaviors. And like Zoom is terrible for that. And we end up on some other platform because... 
you know, what would be a undesirable behavior with a great microphone on a certain platform suddenly becomes the lifesaver if you're having to compensate for um, what a bad microphone does. So, so it's been a journey. I'll say that. And this is my son, um, Gabriel contributing to the podcast as well <laughs> so ian's got his his wonderful son with us today um and uh i was just telling them before we started we've all become that guy we've all become that guy on the bbc broadcast from south korea with his wife and child running in on him we've all all of us are now that guy oh, yes. that guy is yaderman that, <laughs> that that is where we are we are a 17th century Austrian play, and we are all that guy. Anyway, uh, anybody else wanted to throw in their sort of weeks online teaching? Chadley, you've been doing this for quite a while. You want to you want to say how yours is going? Sure. So I've been doing online voice lessons for quite a while, and like I was uh, thinking back to where this started back when we were all working with laptops that didn't have solid state hard drives, and we were just kind of figuring out what we could do online and like turning off noise filters just immediately the computer would start hearing itself like the fan running and all that and so like four years ago when I started doing this if you turned off the noise filters it sounded like you were teaching from the middle of a hurricane <laughs> and <laughs> and now with like these beautiful like solid state hard drives where the computer's pretty quiet and having like a whole setup with a with a nice microphone and an interface it's there's so much more you can do now uh with this so my when we when my school started talking about switching over to online only i, I reassured my voice students that like don't worry i i know what i'm doing with this it'll be fine <laughs> um and uh but where it's been a challenge for me is i haven't taught classes online before mm. this and i've yeah. never led a uh um uh, a large uh regional auditions online and so that all kind of hit at once and so my main challenge has been trying to figure out the best way to teach addiction class online mm. on the fly or voice pedagogy and all the different possibilities with the platforms available. So yeah, it's it's been quite a journey, but I've taught some voice lessons to students who are in their walk-in closet. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> and the biggest challenge is that all these all these students, like their whole family is now working from the same home on yes. the same router. And so bandwidth has been like a huge yeah. challenge yeah. these last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it has that. been. I mean, I think we've been seeing a lot about that. And I'm interested... You know, one of the things I've been interested about that, though, is I haven't seen consistency in this. We have not had a lot of internet throttling going on at our house, but I've wondered if some of it is like, is are cities having a harder time than rural areas? I mean, at least maybe maybe I'm in like the ideal area where we have like maybe a half a million people in the metro, but it's not like we have four million people in the metro, you know, like nor do I live in like rural, rural Arkansas where yeah. I know some of my <laughs> colleagues in the region are literally having trouble even getting connection, you know, to video conferencing. Um, Kayla, you want to share anything about your week's teaching that you've noticed? I, I really think that um, the difference has been that there's a you have to weigh how much time you're willing to troubleshoot yeah. on the problem and how much time like at what point does it become wasteful and like how much you it's just a whole nother realm of like gauging 
what to spend time on a lesson on. It has like this whole nother layer to it. And so I've been trying to preempt the problem by um, sending a list of things to do for my students before the lesson starts and then kind of going through it with them of um, like how much were they able to accomplish on their own and then uh, what what do they need help with. And really the biggest thing for, for me and my students is just ensuring that their internet connection is as, as robust as possible. Um, I actually have one student whose internet, wh whose router is in the basement and uh, <laughs> she's gonna, it's in like an unfinished basement. And our next lesson, she's gonna try to see if she can have a lesson in the basement and see if that improves. Um, so that's really where we're at. And I think it's a, it's a unique problem, but I think that time element has really been um, the most stressful part for me as a teacher because I don't wanna be wasting their time with troubleshooting things that might not have a, a wonderful resolution in the end. And perhaps that's one of the things that we didn't really foresee going into this. You know, even if we had been teaching online, maybe the idea of the fact that all of a sudden it's our whole, it's not like one student who you normally work with online or even four students who you normally work with online. It's all of a sudden your entire studio is online and therefore it's 12 to 15 different problems. You know, I mean, yeah. bandwidth, tech, platform, I, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I have one student who has a Chromebook who has some of the worst audio I've had, period, mm -hmm. and another student whose internet is really stable who has a Chromebook who I have some of the best audio. Mm. I mean, it's like, it's it, that that's that's and it one, been one of the interesting things been the inconsistency. Sarah, I'm interested just from your perspective, mm -hmm. teaching the younger kids another week. What oh, what's yeah. it been like? You know, going through another week with the younger students. It's interesting. So we actually just announced this week that we're not going back at all. They had been going week by week until um, the governor in here in Georgia just you know canceled public schools for the week, and the private schools waited like another day or two before they announced it. So I could like. All of a sudden, I had a, several of my students, their parents be like, oh, we thought this was temporary and they backed out. So I've had a few students that have stopped taking lessons. And I imagine a lot of people ran into that this week. Um, I also had put off pushing certain things because going week by week, I didn't want to be like, hey, if we're going to do this long term, we need to move to Zoom because the what they've been using for school is Google Hangouts. And so I had been using that for some of the students just because it was the platform they were comfortable with. And I couldn't be like, well, we're going to be here the rest of the year. So maybe you should hop on over. I, I can mostly with them more than like Internet because there are Internet issues. And maybe it is being in a big city. Their parents are working from home, that sort of thing. More than anything else, I can just tell that they're hitting walls, that they've been in school on screens all day. And by the time I get to them, they just are zoned out zonked out and the last thing they want to do is even though even when they love singing they don't want to deal with another screen so i think that's yeah, something i've, I've been into. hearing actually one of my really great one of my dear colleagues um who i used to work with uh on a lot of faculty senate stuff at wvu she had posted this week that she felt like so many of us were so good intentioned and mm -hmm. well-meaning when we did this transition that 
we felt like we might be criticized if we weren't hard enough on the students. And so, so many people went like full bore into trying to get assignment after assignment after assignment online and it became overkill for the students. I've been hearing yes. that a lot this this week. Our school started uh, this week um, backing off. They made Wednesday a screen-free day. So I'm thinking maybe moving forward, that'll be better for the students. We're like, they still do have some assignments, but they are not with the computer. It's something they can do just outside or little experiments. And I'm hoping that'll help everyone. Josh, any observations this week? I mean, honestly... Uh, I'll say what I said a few weeks ago, which is that I've been really finding that the um, the students really are just enjoying the the time to. I, I'm running synchronous um, studio classes um, every week, and the the students absolutely love that because that's their only time that they can really, you know, see their friends um, and interact with their friends, right? Not just sit and watch someone talk, but actually, you know, give each other um, advice and whatnot. And they're really enjoying that part of things. Um, and then sometimes, as I said, like I, I have an open studio. So in Zoom, they've been like popping in uh, during people's lessons and stuff. And that that has been that's been really nice, honestly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just add two thoughts before we move on to the platforms paper. Um, my first thought is this week I had a really great experience that I wanted to share no matter what we recorded this weekend, which was that I was having a lesson with someone who I know to be a pretty intense online gamer who is used to doing a lot of stuff on oh, the internet. Yeah. And I felt like in his, it was funny. It was actually a breakthrough that we came to during... Uh, so I'm doing... I do, I do two half hours a week and I'm doing one synchronous on Zoom and then I'm doing one asynchronous. Mm -hmm. I'm having them send me recordings. And actually the discovery that we made came from our asynchronous lesson that then we applied to some notes that I gave him and a video that I sent him that we applied in our next face-to-face -face meeting. And I felt like because he was so used to interacting across a screen mm -hmm. that he was able to make a breakthrough that was not possible for us to have made in person. So I think there, there have been good things um, along with challenges. I mean, because there are clearly challenges. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there are. We all nobody nobody's questioning whether or not in an ideal world would we probably be face to face with each other in a room, yeah, and we'd probably be face to face with each other in a in a perfect room, you know, for whatever that medium is. But the other thing I'll say is I also had a great lesson this week with one of my rock singers who had his in ears in, and who had his guitar and his mic in his own ears, and I had his ear mix coming through my speakers. It was great. It was great because I got to hear his mix. It was perfect. And Sarah knows this guy. I and do. she knows what his voice is like. And Sarah, you know his voice is better through the signal chain anyway. It, it is. When I saw you post about that and I was like, oh my gosh, I bet these are like the perfect lessons for him. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there's new. good things too. There's good things too. All right. So, Ian, Kayla, I'm going to turn it over to you guys for a second because you did the heavy lifting on this. Tell us what we what we did, how we did it, and where we are. Do we have a crying baby? Is that what we're with? Yeah, he's got the milk now. Um, yeah, I mean, before, yeah, let's definitely talk about this this project that we all worked on together. But um, p picking up on what you said, though, just like on not that the situation is good, but you know, good things good things arise. Like I, I don't know. I feel like anybody who's gone through graduate school as a singer has had this experience where like the year after they leave grad school, 
is like all of a sudden they can sing. You know, it, it's like, like all the, yes, Kayla's raising Two hands hand. up, yes. All, like all the, all, all the work that they did during grad school when they never actually had downtime and they couldn't rest and they couldn't set their own schedule and they weren't sleeping and they were stressed and reflux here or whatever. Like all of a sudden it, it kicks into place. And, um, and those should be the best singing years of your life is after you, after you finish your master's degree. Um, and I'm observing this phenomenon with a bunch of my master's students where essentially that is happening early if that makes sense. Yeah. Because th- there, is, yeah. there is something about reclaiming two hours a day in commuting, and there is something about, you know, like, you know, if, if people want to do yoga in the morning, they can do yoga. Yeah. You know, and if, if people want to go for a walk, they can go for Like, there's all these things that we know are good for us that somehow we justify never finding time for. So I'm, I'm just fascinated to watch that happen. And I've also heard from some of my students who, um, who teach at like community music schools that, you know, their online teaching studios are, are really kind of overflowing with like really motivated kids, you know, sort of five to 13 year olds, like just really, really just want to work and do something. And it's kind of the highlight of their week to take their voice lessons. I think there's like the double the double like factor that we're dealing with of one people are just glad to not be doing watching Netflix mm-hmm. <laughs> for for 30 or 60 minutes and then there's also the other factor that we have to remember that anyone who's basically up to what 15 now their entire education has been in front of a screen so they're used to learning in front of a screen they are not used to learning from actual instruction face-to-face i mean it's kind of an interesting paradigm shift maybe for higher education in general but anyway back to the paper so whichever one of you wants to start go ahead so i'll start kayla if it's okay and then by all means jump in um sorry this rhythmic padding in the background is keeping my son asleep (laughs) so we're just gonna kind of go with this it's fantastic vocal fam we are pro baby on this podcast right everybody we lull the vocal fam to sleep yeah it's gonna make joshua fall asleep as well (laughs) (laughs) my plan is working um okay so i don't think this project necessarily would have happened if nec's spring break had not essentially coincided with when the shutdown started and then NEC elected to extend spring break by an additional week. So I know not, not all schools did that. So some people basically had no spring break. So we were, we were all kind of trying to adjust to new normal. And um, I think that resulted in a, a bunch of people who uh, are used to teaching in-person voice lessons, uh, essentially um, being really optimistic about seamlessly shifting to online lessons and then being like catastrophically having the wind knocked out of them as they started recognizing the the challenges that go along with it um this is for me i want to say out of the gate like i don't think that one medium is necessarily like superior to the other i i think it's possible to have a terrible in-person lesson for example and i've had some amazing online lessons this week that i've that i've taught at least from my perspective they were amazing um so like the fact that we chose to do this project this this isn't an indictment necessarily of anybody who uh, wants to do online voice teaching like i mean like chadley until i got my job at the conservatory i think about half of my private studio was always online students you know i think a lot of people have been doing this or in in part at least for 
uh, for a while now. Um, but there's this there's this weird phenomenon. Uh, so I'm I'm interested in like the history of technology and music transmission specifically, and and you know buy me a buy me a dinner, and I'll I'll tell you all about sort of the advent of the telephone and sort of how how we uh, we're broadcasting music commercially over telephone wires in Europe and America for whatever for 15 years before radio became more popular, and certainly more scalable as a technology. Um, but we've always kind of had this this aspect of the way that our society interacts with sound transmission. Uh, whatever the medium is, where essentially if something is like new and cool, we're fine with it kind of sucking a little bit. Um, and, and you find like if you, if you go back in time, it's it, it's just it's all over the late uh, 19th and all through the 20th century. Right. It's, it's like to, to the point that for much of the early part of the 20th century, people actually preferred to have player pianos in their homes because the fidelity was so much better than a phonograph or a gramophone necessarily. Like it just sounded better. Right. Um, to the point that we call it, um, mechanical rights, right. That's like something you have to have mechanical rights in order to play music in an establishment. And that's literally because of the mechanics of a player piano. Right. So that's, that's your fun little history tidbit for today. <laughs> mechanical rights comes. Josh, from <laughs> it's like you and Ian should know each other with all this work <laughs> know, on right? sound transmission and history. As, sorry. He even so, said phonograph. <laughs> Kel surprise. Um, so in any case, but, but, but even think anybody who's like a cable cord cutter, like I stopped paying a cable bill maybe 15, 10, 10 or 12 years ago, probably. Um, and if anybody's being honest, it sucked. Like it was bad to not have cable. Right. And you'd lie to yourself and tell yourself that like early consumption of video online was like fun because I could do it on my laptop. Right. But it wasn't <laughs> right. It was kind of like four years ago, it started being acceptable. Right. So I think we have to imagine like this is a similar time in history is we have this ability to do voice over internet via, you know, a, a number of commercial products, a number of different sort of protocols and people thinking about how to solve this problem. But because we could also talk to each other in the same room, it didn't have to be perfect. Right. Um, and so it's weird, like to the best of my knowledge, it has never happened that the dominant technology evaporates. Like if we think about face to face contact as being the, the dominant technological means of like talking to one another, that, that's really what it is, is like using air. Um, we've never been at a place where it just ceased to exist. It would be like if suddenly, I don't know, in, in the 90s, if like suddenly CDs vanished. Like, I don't think we'd be like, yeah, cassette, Oof. yeah, cassette tapes, man, that's the best. I, I think we'd honestly be like, let's get something better than cassette tapes, because um, these are not so great. Um, so it, it caused us to, to really start thinking about, well, how can we optimize these platforms? How can we get as close to in-person sound fidelity as possible? And, and I noticed this pattern in the way that people were trying to wade through this in various voice teacher forms and essentially it was i had this great experience therefore this platform is perfect or i had yeah. this terrible experience and this platform is awful don't use it right and and i think actually the answer is the platform that you choose to use at this point has to depend on the other technology you and your student have and so as a result, like we, the, the group of us just were sitting around or not sitting around, not in the same rooms, but we were um, we were talking about this. And, it, and it's like nobody actually knows what these platforms do because we've never been able to separate the effect of the platform from the effect of 
You know, are you using a Chromebook? Are you using a MacBook? Are you using an iPhone? Do you have a fancy audio interface? Do you have a nice speaker? Like there's all these other variables. And so, um, I don't know like, how long we were maybe playing around with this for like a week or so in various combinations of all the people in this Zoom room. Um, just like trying this one and seeing what it sounds like. Joshua did this exploration of like different USB mics. It's like, it's the same idea. Try and try and control everything except that one variable. Um, so we, we started playing around with it and getting yeah. a little bit more serious right. kind of toward the, the second week of our extended spring break. I think Kayla, is that right? And, um, and I, I think all, all of us had, we had a bunch of conversations basically about like, well, what, what sound samples both are, are needed within a music school? Like what kind of sounds do we all need to right, be able to make? Ones. Um, but also are going to be sort of the most dangerous for these platforms, algorithms. Like how, how can we, yeah, the problematic, exactly. How can we break them? And so, you know, <laughs> J Josh rode in on his white noise steed and, <laughs> and <laughs> I rode in on my, like, we got to, treble voices are different from lower voices. We gotta test them. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think. What you, 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I mean, right. you, I mean, I don't know what you're. We have uh, biases. Okay. Uh, hmm, well, points of view, yeah. points of view. <laughs> points of yep. view. Nice way to say it. Um, so uh, essentially we, we whittled it down to, um, I think it was about a two minute and 15 second sound file. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm actually really grateful to a, a friend and colleague, Kit Soden, who's a postdoc at Kermit at McGill. Because uh, I was like, I'm in my living room and it would be great to have a cello sound and a violin sound because I have string teachers at my school and they want to know this information too. And he was like, oh, sure, of course, we like nerdy music tech people. We have a whole database here. Just download everything. And it was like, boop. And suddenly I had like seven gigabytes of cello sounds. Um, and so we, we were able to do white noise and a bunch of voiced sounds that sort of um, challenge the systems in different ways, which maybe Kayla can talk about a little bit, and also repeat a lot of the same things with with string sounds as well. And um, you know, we we controlled the signal chain, I think, as tightly as a human being could control it, given the fact that I was in my living room and Kayla was in her studio at her house. Uh, but you know, even given that, we had high quality microphones, high quality preamps, really high quality uh, speaker uh, studio monitor that we were playing the sounds through. And we just sort of ran the platforms one by one. Um, and I think it gave us a really, uh, the way in which the platforms responded have been so helpful for me. Like, I, and in my mind, it's not that there was like a winner, there wasn't a winner, but just like knowing what it's going to do in terms of auto gain control, knowing what it's gonna do in terms of frequency spectrum um, has just allowed me to quickly make better choices you know, and diagnose problems. And like Kayla said, like punt, like if, if, if it's obvious, like, oh, the high note's not gonna not distort, right? I'm not gonna waste the student's time trying to fix it. I'm gonna teach them instead. And we're just gonna kind of get through it as best we can. Um, but you, do you wanna talk about- If you don't the... mind me just adding one thing about the mic, cause yeah. you, said, you said high quality microphone, high quality audio interface. And I think it's important to like actually put, um, like not a number to it, but be even more specific that the microphone that you were using wasn't just high quality, but uh, essentially it, it, it puts out what it's what we put into the microphone. Um, yeah, so it's exactly. not just that it's a quote unquote good microphone, but rather it's a microphone that is used for um, measurements, sound measurements. Um, yeah, that is, it is a flat frequency exactly. response, research grade microphone. Yeah. I think one of you had an M23 and one of you an M30. Is that right? Uh, mine's an M23. Yeah, Kayla and I both have yeah. M23s. Oh, okay, okay. okay yeah. Right. So it's a it's made by a company called Earthworks, and like its purpose in life is to try to give you uh, um, 
accurate representation of whatever the sound is. We call it um, transparent. So it's not flattering and it's not kind. Um, but it'll 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 pass through the truth. <laughs> and that was and that was in that, exactly and that was yep. the that was the whole point of it, right? That 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 we're trying to see what the system does, not kind of color the sound with whatever technology we're using, other than. Platform. Exactly, and that's and that's what I like about the the preamp is an audience IDE forty four, and I like that that preamp for that reason as well. Like it doesn't hype anything. It um, you know, it doesn't sound like a sort of garage band audio interface that somebody is going to plug an electric guitar into. Um, and we had a really nice studio monitor made by uh, a company called Genelec uh, that similarly has a really flat frequency response itself. So we try to control all of those things. Um, so really the variable was just going to be how the system handled the, uh, the sounds that we put through it. Do you want to talk a little bit about the sound samples we chose, Kayla? Sure. We have uh, nine samples that we put together all uh, in one file so that it could all be uh the same file that was tested on multiple platforms. So that's, I think that's a unique part of this test. Like when we were testing throughout the week, I would sing a note on one platform and somebody else would get it on their own platform. And they'd kind of like give me qualitative uh, descriptions of what it sounded like. And and I think that's kind of the layman's way of, of doing it. And it, it, it's great. And it helped us kind of design what would be like a more structured and a more controlled experiment to do that. Um, so we, just to be clear, we did not have a cello in Ian's living room. We played the sound of a cello <laughs> that was a, collab, uh, a calibrated um, a calibrated recording through uh, his Jetelec monitor, uh, which was then collected by the Earthworks. And then that signal was sent over the platforms to me. And then I actually recorded my internal uh, audio on my side. So that's as most controlled as we can make it so that every time we played the sample, it was at the same uh, same level so that all of a sudden we didn't like up the gain and mm -hmm. then all the samples would be different, right? So it, even if I was testing on like, if you if me and Chadley wanted to do this test and just have me sing it, I couldn't guarantee that I'm gonna sing it at the same level every time. So that's why we, we really wanted to make sure that we had something pre-recorded so that we can control in that way. So the samples that we had were 22 seconds of white noise with a two second fade in, fade out. So that was like the first way and probably thank you, uh, Josh, for <laughs> that, for that in having us include that because that was probably the easiest way that we can do uh, frequency comparisons of like where all these platforms have a shelf. Um, and then the second one was uh, 22 seconds of white noise with a two second fade in and fade out um, at, a, at a different decibel level, so a little bit quieter. And then another one that was a little bit quieter. And then we also had number four, I think that was like one of my favorite ones because it's white noise, but it's basically uh, crescendo and decrescendo. So we could kind of see how the platform deals with dynamics, which is a super important part of especially classical voice teaching. Um, and also all the other instrumental teaching. So um, then the next four samples, or let's see, we have a female sex soprano singing pitches C5, E5, G5, B5 with non-vibrato production, so like straight tone, and then one with operatic vibrato production, same pitches, and then a mesa di voce on, like a, G, on a G4, and then loud and quiet of bowed cello and loud and quiet of bowed violin. So we got a really 
great like mix of samples so that we can compare how these platforms, um, how these platforms really alter the audio. And that's really where what this comes down to is that when you send anything through a signal chain, you have to figure out what part of what part of the signal chain is changing the audio because you cannot trust that what you hear is the same sound that what your student is producing. Um, and I think that's a really, it seems like a duh moment, right? It seems like really obvious, like, yeah, we sound different over the internet than we do in person. <laughs> but if we don't understand what part of the signal chain is making those changes, then that's that's where we tend to just say, bag it all, none of this is useful. <laughs> it's all a mess. So those are the samples that we used. Um, and then we can kind of talk about our results. Um, these are so, so fascinating. Before we do that, can, we, can sure. I jump in for a second? Um, there's two things I want to I want to jump in about. One thing I'm just going to say, vocal fam. If you are not someone who normally deal, if you're if you are no, a voice teacher who normally deals with a piano and unamplified singers, I just want to say this for you. I love you. I'm here for you. Signal chain <laughs> is what any part of the electronic process of sound transmission does to the sound. That could be the microphone, that could be a preamp, that could be a speaker, and in this case, we're not only considering those things, but we are considering the internet algorithm that's built into the video conferencing platform itself. And that's really what this study was looking at, was the, in a way, the signal chain effect of 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 what the digital signal was happening in the computer program itself coming over the video conferencing platform. Is that a fair way to say that, Josh? Yeah, I think so. If yeah, okay. Um uh because this is any anyway, my wife was last night we were talking about this and she's like, I, I know what you mean, but what's a signal chain? You know, or something like that. I mean, I was like, okay, all right. So let's, you know, anyway, that's the vocal fam. Second thing. So we did four platforms, right? We we looked at we ended up looking at um, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, which is built on Skype, uh, Voice Lessons app, which is the VoiceLessons.com app, and then what was the FaceTime? Can I say the fourth one? FaceTime. FaceTime. Thank you. Ugh, duh. And I I would like to give Chadley a second for the record, for the all time record for the world. Chadley, tell the world what the settings in Zoom optimized are, just so you can say it to the world out loud. That's a lot of pressure. Don't miss it. I've up. been trying to speak to every living human on the planet individually, <laughs> and and I learned about this thing called scaling, um, where you can actually do this more effectively than trying to say it to each person individually. <laughs> <laughs> there are like two biggies uh and like i'm still messing with like how many different combinations of this uh but it's original sound and turning off the audio the auto gain but the original sound has to be turned on on both sides both the student and the teacher side uh for it to matter um but yes so um and if you run into problems the 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 main issues that make it so that you can't see the original sound feature is you have to set that up in your advanced settings you need to be on a computer not a tablet or a phone and you need the most up-to-date version of the app. And you need to be on the app and not in a browser window. Mm -hmm. So 
<laughs> so I've gone through uh, in our studio class and in my different classes of walking each student through how to make that pop up. And then, of course, there's this really confusing aspect about it is that um, when your original sound is on, the button on your screen says turn off original sound. <laughs> so there's there's like a few different layers of it. You can also set your original sound to always be on for a certain microphone so that each time you open up Zoom, it, are, it defaults to being an original sound and having your students walk through that as well is also important. But yes, turning off the auto level and turning on original sound is, is the way to go. <laughs> Okay, now 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 that we've got that for the record on on on, on everything. So, um let let's talk a little bit about about the results that we found. Let's talk a little bit about um maybe some things that were revealed in different, you know, in the white band noise, in the in the in the voice, in the violin, in the cello, in the Josh, you want to say would something you, ahead? Would of time? you mind if just just backing up just one quick moment because we've been kind sure. of joking about the the white noise? Um, which is fun. Um, but the uh, I think it's just important because we are going to be talking about like added noise to uh, the like the, the end result. I think it's important just to say what the white noise does. Now, we've talked about it a little bit on Focal Fry, but just to remind everyone, um, Kayla told us what the point was, right, to see where the free where the shelf of the frequency is. So where the highest frequency recorded is um, in from the algorithm. But the point of the white noise is over if you take 20 seconds of uh white noise which is frequent it contains all frequencies um within a certain range um at equal intensity and just sounds like that hissing noise from a tv or whatnot um you can actually figure out how a microphone or a room or an algorithm in this case filters the sound um and I, it's so it's super super simple but i just think it's it's important to kind of delineate or make make every, or help everybody understand the difference between that and then the ad additive noise that we're going to be talking about later. Um, Josh, since you brought that up, how does that compare for the vocal fam to the balloon pop we talked about about eight weeks ago? Sure. So the white noise is um, potentially more, more, well, it's more accurate than a balloon pop and less accurate than some other things like, say, a sign sweep or a um, uh, different types of uh, broadband noise. Thank you. Okay, let's so go to the results. balloon pop is the quick and dirty way of doing the exact same thing. So essentially, that's like the quick and dirty way of determining vocal tract resonances like vocal fry is, whereas tracheal puncture would be the accurate way. <laughs> yes, oh. in fact. Yeah, people are just lining up we, for that. We too. just <laughs> punctured the trachea of Ian's living room. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yes, dude, I, exactly. I think you stretched that analogy one step too far. <laughs> oh, I certainly did. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, uh, listen, folks, listen, folks, you're stuck in your home, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, be before before kind of framing it as like a, a results, I, I kind of want to, I want to jump to the conclusions super fast. Please, And then please. work backwards to the results because cause we can tell you in our study, like what Teams did or what Voice Lessons app did or what Zoom did or whatever with respect to the frequency response. Um, but again, actually, what if we're talking about something actionable, I think it's almost more important to say, what are the possible ways in which my signal could be compromised? And what do those sound like? 
So then we can start thinking through like, what's a solution to that problem that's reasonable versus what's a solution to that problem that, you know, costs some amount of money that I don't have to commit to this. Um, and I'm a, I don't know, I'm a huge fan of like, uh, labeling things with nuance. Cause I think once we, once we label stuff and understand what the labels mean, then, um, it allows us to hear with more specificity. Um, and so the, the, the way in which we kind of broke these things down and, and Joshua has, has led us into this very nicely is so initially there's like, uh, just what is the frequency spectrum that's transmitted and all of these all of these platforms remove some high frequency energy right and sort of the question is above what frequency measure do we lose information and do we lose it precipitously or is it like a gentle roll off you know are you are you rolling off between like 12 and 16000 hertz or does it start at 7000 hertz and it's dead by 8000 hertz right so there's there's sort of that question is just what is the frequency spectrum transmitted um there is the question of dynamic compression which is tightly related to the question of automatic gain control and i i think this is one of the easiest things to hear because and th this is what i have all of my students do at this point i would encourage everybody listening who who wants to teach voice lessons have their students do this as well and it gives you an immediate accurate read of the the effect of the, the platform's algorithms is have your student do a crescendo and a decrescendo, ideally at a higher pitch in their range, because then that will also tell you stuff about whether it can handle the intensity of a, of a higher, louder pitch, but have them do a hand sign to open and close that aligns with their crescendo and decrescendo. Because if you're working with a platform, so for example, FaceTime, especially on an Apple iOS device that also has built-in system level gain control, volume control, um, you, you will see, it's almost comical. Your student will start crescendoing and their hand will keep getting bigger to show that they're crescendoing while their voice gets quieter, <laughs> yeah. right? And and um, and sort of how, yep. how quickly that happens is something to listen for. So for example, Teams actually does it fairly gently, like perplexingly so, like they, they really want to keep all sound at the exact same um, intensity level, sort of at the exact same loudness. We might they say. just compress that frequency window way. Oh down. my god! But but it happens slow. It happens slowly. Like yeah. FaceTime goes like oh like that, and it just <laughs> just chunks it down, um, mm -hmm. super fast. Um, so that's kind of one thing to listen for. It's like automatic gain control, and do I hear the high end? The second thing to listen for is the the fidelity to the transmitted spectrum. So like the spectrum that is transmitted is extra noise added is the relationship in the spectrum between all of the harmonics in terms of their individual intensities like is that preserved or does it kill low end or does it kill high end um and then the last one and this is you know certainly something that i i hope our community continues to study and and does on a more sort of large scale um level but just the question of like okay so we have some portion of the spectrum that is being transmitted and you know once the automatic gain control has passed through whatever intensity of signal it's going to, like we have that. And then we have the question of um, like, is it introducing additional noise and is it accurately representing the instrument in terms of its spectral content? But then on top of that, there's a layer of just like the digital compression itself, like where the algorithm is trying to remove information from the sound to make the file smaller. 
And so we would call that um, lossy audio compression because information is lost. You can't recover it later on. Um, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, you'll tend to hear as like, if you're listening to a, a low bass, like if Chadley sings a low note, you might not actually notice it. But if Kayla or Sarah sang like a, a G5 or an A5, um, they might have a lot more energy in a higher frequency range that the algorithm is like, we can take a bunch of information out of this part of the voice because there's yeah. nothing there in speech. So it's not going to cost anybody anything. But then all of a sudden, instead of like a, a, a treble voice having a sparkle on the top, instead it'll have kind of like this weird buzzy sound on the top. Um, and so th there's that. And then there's also uh, essentially uh, digital artifacts. So like pops and clicks and those sorts of sounds. Um, and so I would just encourage everybody to be thinking in those terms. It's like, th th that's the way things can go wrong. And that's not even saying, is your internet connection stable? Like, uh, are you seeing mm -hmm. video dropouts? Mm -hmm. Are you seeing yeah. people freeze? You know, like stuff like that's perhaps a little more, a little more obvious on the surface. But as we talk about how these various platforms behaved, um, I just think it's important to kind of frame it through that lens. It's like none of these platforms were perfect. Well, and I think you actually just brought up a good point, Ian, in, in that a lot of the things that you just described, Vocal Fam, those are things you've already been hearing. These are not like new ideas that you've not heard already in your online voice lessons. The pops, the clicks, the the immediate gain control on high notes. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, you've already been experienced. You know, so it's like it, it even relates back to the things that my wife said when Mandy was on the episode we did about teaching online right away, Sarah. When you guys were talking mm -hmm. about your experiences of, of working online yourselves, you know, these are things that you're already experiencing vocal fam these are not like mind-boggling scientific things that we're talking about we just tried to put a controlled environment to figure out what the platforms were adding of these things is that a fair way to say that guys yeah i th i think so and you know i'll i'll say just for example i i taught a lesson this past week um where my student had a nice audio interface and a nice microphone and we did zoom fully opened in terms of the audio throughput. And I expected there to be occasional little gentle popping sounds. And I wasn't going to fix that because that's just part of how Zoom deals with, with transmitting the sound. But every other aspect of the sound was great. I tried to teach another lesson to a student who had like blazing, like gamer future person upload speech. <laughs> she had like 200. Sarah's internet. Yeah, she had like 220. Yes. <laughs> it was it was one of the highest numbers i've ever seen um but she had this lenovo laptop that had a microphone that mm -hmm. had an automatic built-in gain control algorithm and it was awful and so we couldn't we could not use zoom and we actually ended up putting we went through an iphone and then an ipad and the ipad mic seems to be nicer and so she ended up on an ipad um through teams because teams has such an aggressive um, auto leveling algorithm that the signal would hit the Apple microphone and it would be auto gain controlled in a way that was terrible for singing. That signal would go to Teams' servers and it would re-level it <laughs> and then it would pass it on to me, <laughs> right? So, so it's like, it's not even that one is better than another. It's just, you've got to know what the tools do so you can choose you know, that's appropriately. Actually that's actually funny because when we've recorded on Skype, when I get, which Skype's built on Teams, mm -hmm. when I get audacity or uh, when i get um uh, mp3s or wave files that i've recorded on my zoom 
from Skype. It's just like a complete band, flat bandwidth of sound. There's no, yeah. you know, uh, mm-hmm. adjustments at all. It's just... Which is great for speech. <laughs> right. Maybe less so for, like, right. snare drums. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so... Tell us some, tell us more about what we found, Kayla. Sure. Um, I don't know how detailed we want to be about going into the results. Um, I think the best. I would say keep us give us the layman's summary of every one of them. Sure. Um, well, as far as the platform that kept most of the frequency information, Zoom did most of that. So Zoom did the best on keeping most of the frequency information. So um, if you think if you're if you think about human hearing, the average human hearing, like the best you can get is uh, at twenty thousand hertz. Um, so all the frequency information below twenty hertz, twenty thousand hertz, um, we say humans have the capability of hearing. As you get older, that threshold goes down. Um, it but really does. It really does. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Um, but if you care about up to 20,000 Hertz, then, then basically zoom cut off around 17,000 was like the max 16 to 17,000. Um, so that means that when a soprano sings a high note, most of their frequency information is going to be transmitted through that signal, which is great. Um, if you, if you're, if you're a teacher of like, like me, where I have mostly treble voices, that matters a lot. If I was a teacher that only taught bass voices, maybe I'd be like, well, I don't really care about that as much. Um, so Microsoft Teams performed much differently in that they the, the frequency that was transmitted basically capped off at about 9,000 Hertz. Okay, 9,000 as opposed to like 15 to 17,000 through Zoom. Which think about that vocal fam for a second. That means that if you had a soprano singing roughly of uh, F or so-ish, F5, you would get maybe their first eight harmonics, maybe nine-ish. But if you flipped it over to Zoom comparatively, you'd almost get quite a bit more right. than that. Right. So Yeah, and, and I think it, it, it really, like Kayla says, it, it really matters... It really matters who the person in front of you is, you know. If if they sing high pitches at at high intensities, you're much more likely to have energy in that higher frequency range. Where you know, if if team starts rolling off at seven or eight or you know, dead by nine um, thousand hertz, then uh, you know, you you may or may not actually miss that information. It, it just really depends. If I was teaching a tuba player, like I I may not miss that information. There may not be a ton of stuff there. Chadley. Yeah. Um, another side of this for singing, another type of singing, we've kind of looked at high intense classical treble singing as particularly needing the information above 7,000 hertz going up to 16, 17,000 hertz. Um, as someone who teaches, and I know several of us do teach rock singing, like that's, that's one of the defining things in a, a lot of different like basic mm-hmm. rock techniques mm-hmm. is that the a high frequency energy going on up to like 11,000 Hertz, 15,000 Hertz, um, in both, uh, um, AFAB and AMAB, you know, treble and non-treble voices. Um, so if, if there's a cutoff at 8,000 Hertz, like for rock singing, that actually makes a really big impact. 
on a absolutely on a practical totally level agreed. as a teacher um this informs my ears when i'm listening to voices through these platforms um because if i'm missing that like sparkle on my soprano's voice and i'm teaching through uh if i and i'm teaching through a not zoom or they don't have their original sound turned on because they couldn't figure it out or they're on an app or whatever it is if i'm missing that i'm not gonna ask them to like brighten right i'm not i'm not gonna just be like oh i i missed that part of your voice can you can you like maybe put it through the mask a little more and like i'm I'm not gonna give those recommendations because uh, because they might actually be doing that but i just can't hear it because the platform altered their sound and so because their sound is already absolutely Absolutely. And I think that when, if we're really still teaching people, not just how to sound good over internet platforms, if we're also teaching people how to fill a room with sound and and be on a stage, then we have to be sensitive to understanding like what our students are doing is different than what we're hearing through the signal chain. And then even with a platform like Zoom, I mean, if you hear that sparkle, just like know that sparkle is also going to be characterized by a little bit of digital distortion, right? And so like best it's going to be is going to be some digital distortion. So you listen for the digital distortion to be there. Um, I've also... I was particularly... Sorry, Ian, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, just a a quick pro tip about that. If you want to test that, have your student make a sound Mm -hmm. because there's so much information that higher frequency range. It go s ah uh, s ah uh, like that back and forth, and you mm-hmm. should if there's going to be digital distortion, you'll hear it on the s, and you won't hear it on the on the vowel. Um, speaking of distortion, can you guys talk for just a second about what uh, I think it was FaceTime did to the violin or the cello? Oh, it violin murdered it. I think both of them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it was both so, of them. So th- this is this kind of ticks into the question of like knowing what what is the sound of your of your instrument so um uh we had cello and violin samples that had a good deal of what we call sonance so like extra non-pitch sound the sound of the bow scraping on the string and the sound of the bridge moving and there's just all sorts of extra sounds in instruments that's in addition to the pitch that we hear and these happen to be close mic samples that had a good deal of this sound and um you know, I think it was both Voice Lessons app and FaceTime both decided that that extra sound the instrument made was noise. And they had automatic noise um, removal algorithms that kicked in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it adjusted the gain and it tried to kill it. Mm -hmm. They did the same things with the white noise as well. Like you you listen back to those samples and it's like, you know, it's like (laughs) grabbed the white noise because because it's clearly noise, right? And if you have a, a noise mm-hmm. reduction algorithm and you feed it noise, it's going to react to it. Um, so yeah, it, it did that to the string samples. And, and we should, you know, we should think beyond our voice studio. Like there's all sorts of music teachers out there who are thinking about solving these problems. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying <laughs> that people teach more than just than tenors. <laughs> You heard it here first on the Vocal Fry podcast. (laughs) Spread the word. Mind blown. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of, we have this stereotypical notion that if you throw a rock at a conservatory, you're statistically likely to hit a soprano. But, but like, there's, (laughs) like, I don't know, NEC has, what, like 850 students, and I think 110 of them are vocalists. So it's like the majority of the building, the majority of the building does other stuff as well. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so, while before we forget, 
because I've been meaning to say this, Ian, I'm glad you said about the recordings. Where can folks go to both hear the recordings and download the paper? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, as we were all thinking about how to try to disseminate this, like we wrote an academic paper, which I'd encourage people to read. It's maybe nine pages long and then 20 pages of figures. And everybody loves that. Um, But if you don't love that, (laughs) then we made a website as well that just has a, a short summary and then a series of recordings so it'll be like the white noise challenges to these platforms and you'll hear it um, as recorded on my end and then immediately following you'll hear it as received on Kayla's end. So you can really do A-B comparisons. Um, probably the easiest thing to suggest is go to my website and you'll be able to easily find a link in the menu, uh, which is ianhowellcountertenor.com. ianhowellcountertenor.com. Um, that's easier than actually trying to like uh, drill down to what the actual page URL is. And if you contact any of us, we could, of course, send you the link. Yeah, absolutely. As well. If you don't know how to spell any of that, of that, um, uh, we can certainly get you a link easily. I could actually post the link on the Vocal Fry page, too. Um, I don't remember. Sarah, did I share the article on the Vocal Fry social media? I don't remember. I think no, I might have just shared it on mine. Although Alan Henderson like tagged you in it. That's how I found it. Oh no, it's on Facebook. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's it's everywhere. It's pretty easy to find you because then I googled it to pull up the actual article, and it actually I've got it. It's, it came through on Dropbox. Um, so hopefully it downloaded to my Dropbox, and if I comment, it's not going to be like comments that everyone in the world can see. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, it, I'm sure. It's thinking fun. through yeah. thinking through more results. Um, I think something that's that's important to say at the outset is, like, Zoom, voice lessons app, and FaceTime. Like those three platforms did not do a terrible job of passing through sung pitches, um, so long as there wasn't a great deal of dynamic variation. Like Teams again, really aggressively tried to re-level. Um, anything that was put into it. So it makes a quieter, low note, really full sounding and in a deceptive sort of way. Um, And since that's a technical competency for singers, maybe that's something we want to try to avoid. Um, But, you know, in terms of when we started being able to really break the algorithms, it was only when we put much more challenging samples through them. So the Mesa Devoche, for example, both FaceTime and Voice Lessons app um, dramatically reshaped that as the crescendo... Uh, really became more dramatic. Now, maybe the person that you're teaching is like a seven-year-old and a mesa de voce is hard. And and (laughs) maybe they can't do that. And maybe that's not something you have them do. Um, So again, it's not necessarily that that one platform wins necessarily. um, But it's just knowing, like, if you have a student who is highly dynamic and has a wide pitch range that they sing in, um, you know, just know. So with respect to automatic gain control, for example, so Zoom would pass things through just exactly like you put them in. No automatic gain control at all. Teams, aggressive automatic gain control that's fairly gentle. Uh, both Voice Lessons app and FaceTime, I would expect there to be aggressive automatic gain control that also um, is it's very sudden. It's sudden and it's fairly dramatic. Um, in terms of the frequency spectrum, you know, again, as Kayla laid out, we found zoom to be the widest kind of up to 15,000 hertz 16,000 hertz teams really the narrowest and in in some ways it it sounds best if you don't have very good equipment 
because it cuts out the frequency range where you might hear the problems of the equipment. Um, uh, voice lessons app uh, is almost as high as Zoom, actually. Uh, and then FaceTime is kind of in between. It starts its roll off fairly low, but it has a really gentle uh, roll off to the top. So in terms of frequency spectrum, like just be aware of that. Teams is gonna sound really dramatically different uh, from the other ones in that respect. In terms of the um, the lossy audio compression, like this is this is one that I think people really should just go listen to. Because again, all the platforms introduced something. Yeah. Um, I personally found, and, and I think uh, everybody who was a, a co-author on the paper uh, concurred, that you know Zoom has very sort of gentle little popping sounds that will come up, like you'll hear that. Um, I don't personally find it distracting, but just know that that's there. Um, Teams has louder popping sounds as it does its gentle automatic gain control, and so you really hear that. And there's kind of always this bubbling quality that there's some compression going on and you can't ever quite put your finger on it. Um, with voice lessons app and FaceTime, I found it really depended on the signal being put into it. Given a real consistent amplitude that wasn't too strong or too quiet, I, I feel like you don't hear the, the digital compression quite as much, although it is certainly present. That Neither of those are as strong as Teams is. Teams, Teams feels like it's a garden hose that's kind of always on, if that makes sense. <laughs> I actually personally in my own teaching have found with FaceTime that so much of it depends on their internet connection that, I mean, that ends up being the defining characteristic of the sound quality almost. Yeah, yeah would that we could actually worry about what it is the platform does. <laughs> yeah, can, can we talk a little bit about what it sounds like when it's, the, when it's the internet connection that has the problem? Sure. So... For, for me in my lessons, what I hear as internet connection issues is gaps in the sound. Mm -hmm. Like, it, like all of a sudden it'll just like pop, like un, it'll be like they're like muting every three milliseconds yeah. or something. Yes. Like it just sounds like gaps. Um, and that's not the same. That's not, that's not a platform issue. That's an internet connection issue. And there's a really important distinction there. Do you have any other, do any of you have other characteristics that you use so to the, qualify what that sounds like? I'm, I'm getting old enough that I'm realizing that not all the kids know what the matrix is, but there is, there is a scene in the first matrix movie where Neo takes the pill and then like he sort of goes down the rat. So Nicholas, come back, come back, Nicholas. Um, he like goes, <laughs> I have a story about this very specifically. Go on. Um, where, uh, you know, he, he initially goes down the rabbit hole metaphorically um and and there's like a, a a digital what what is it joshua is it a down sampling thing it like or, or it goes down to 8-bit audio or something suddenly so there, there's this way that suddenly your voice can sound progressively more and more like a computer um from the 80s right um and it's just a very specific sort of sound and that that's the other thing i hear when the internet really when the transmission itself becomes the problem um, is and I don't know if it's the server heroically trying to find the smallest version of the file that it can send. Like it's it's probably that. It's like computer voice. Yeah. Well, so when you when you it's like computer like, voice. Yeah. It, it's it's an issue. Good lord, how do you say this? It's um it's an issue of um the like steps between parts of the sound wave being yeah. uh, larger rather than smaller. And so when the internet's cutting out, the I think that the algorithms are trying to figure out, just as you said, what's the smallest amount of information that I can send through and still maintain mm -hmm. this this uh, as low of a latency as possible. So as, as much of a uh, 
instant communication as possible. Um, and I think that that's what's happening then. It just gets to the point where um, you lose both dynamic and also some uh, frequency information because of the steps yeah. in between the uh, samples and the wave. Yeah, what what had been a, a smooth line exactly. of the, the pressure trace in the air suddenly becomes stair steps instead. Exactly. I think that there's a, a potentially a good bit of confusion about whether or not um, sort of two things with the automatic gain control in this stuff. I think sometimes we think that the automatic gain control that we're experiencing we think is an internet problem and it's actually the algorithm kicking in its automatic sure. gain control but there's a dub, there's a there's another layer of that on top of that which is that as we've brought up today particularly i've noticed with ios devices and google chromebooks the built-in system automatic gain control on that mic is kicking down the signal yeah absolutely uh, i taught a bass baritone a lesson mm. yesterday afternoon and he's got a google chromebook and it's it's just like, thank God I know what he sounds like in yeah. the room. Well, and that's just yes. something actually that I don't, not to, not, I don't think this is poking holes at a study, just saying it's a little bit of a limitation. One of the things that I've been noticing, I don't know if any of y'all can talk, can speak to it, but I've been noticing anecdotally that any of my lower voiced um, non-treble singers, um, every time they get around A or A flat um, near the bottom of the staff, um, that it's just cutting out. Uh, usually, usually it, at least if they, I just don't, honestly, I haven't been doing anything with singers below G at this point because I know I'm just not going to be able to hear it. I just ask them to practice it on their own. Wild. There are notes below G3. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That was, that was a, sorry. That was a tenor anyway. joke. Uh, might even have been a dad tenor joke. Uh, Listen, parents, we're all going to make it, right? All of us with small children <laughs> and babies and children, we're all going to make it, right, everybody? We have no other option. We're all yep. <laughs> Great time to be single. Going to make it. <laughs> I was going to say, we're just sitting over here yep, like, no I got a dog. Sarah and Josh sitting over there watching <laughs> Netflix. It's all right. Yeah, how are TV? What are TV shows right. like now? <laughs> I still don't have time. Vocal fam, just speaking of, oh, wait, I have one more story. So what that, was that? I just watched Unorthodox. Not quite nerd culture, but like really good. Oh, that's what you brought up the other night. I, I wanted to say that too. I, I said this to them in the thing too, and I'll tell you, Sarah. Counterpoint, y'all. Stars is open for the whole month of April. Counterpart season one and two. Whoo, boy. If you like spy stuff, oh, man. Oh, wait, no, I have seen that. That's the one where they're like, um, it's like. J.K. Simmons, they're doppelgangers of each other from the same And they're world. like in East Germany or something like that. Yes. Yeah, okay. Ooh, boy. Ooh. It's very like J.J. Abrams wrote a mystery box, except with a writing team who actually knew how to write the rest of the script. Is it actually J.J. Abrams? Okay. No. No bad robot. <laughs> but it's like but it's like J.J. Abrams wrote the mystery box and then farmed it out to Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, and they wrote the rest of the script. Unlike J.J. writing the rest of the I, script. I have no idea how any of you have emotional bandwidth for new things right now. What is <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, we're doing our we're doing our best. Uh, well, I'll, I just one one quick thing too about the red pill blue pill thing. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years ago, I was teaching a lesson to Devin Balaguer, <laughs> Josh Glasner, and seven years ago she was an undergrad, and I said, you know, it's like we were in a lesson. I said, you know, it's like a red pill blue pill thing. 
And she goes, huh? Oh my. Oh. Did I tell you, I have I told you my most recent my thing heart. with that? Um, I don't know if I've said it on here. I had a student singing a, a song, a uh, musical theater song, and he gets to this word and he's like, wait, okay, so CD, but like, how do you pronounce this other part? Is it CD Rome? <laughs> and I just, my the accompanist and I just died. We just absolutely died. Because I'm not that old, I was in but a, like... We were in a studio class um, back at WVU a number of years ago, and this girl, I forget what the song was. It was a musical theater song, and she had to sing the something like The Lion Was, and we listened to records on the hi-fi. Mm-hmm. And I said... I said to her when she finished, I said, hey, I, what, first question, what's a hi-fi? And she goes, well, it's a, it, I don't know. <laughs> I love, I I love like, the implication that she is leading a low-fidelity, less life. Like, she never experienced <laughs> low-fidelity. Aw, that's <laughs> why would you, sweet. Why would you mention that there's high-fidelity? It's just fidelity. Exactly. How relevant Here to now. Oh, God, here we are. Yep. <laughs> Listen, no, I, I loved Karen Brunson's comment on one of the videos that my wife and I made that we've gone back to parlor concerts oh, in the living room. Sweet. We have. I mean, I've, I've been having conversations with my, both my studio students and also my, um, my uh, pedagogy majors as well. It, it, it's like, um, I love this idea from Burton Coffin's, um, what is it, historical vocal pedagogy classics? Like he opens it with a discussion of the Thomas Kircher and how architectural changes within the within Bach's church that happened just before he arrived essentially reduced the reverberation time. And so his predecessors at the Thomas Kircher in Leipzig um, could do no virtuosic singing, right? Because it was just a bathtub to sing in. And then they built these boxes into the, the side galleries um, so that wealthier people could sit up away from the riffraff on the floor, I, I surmise. And it changed the acoustics such that then, you know, Bach can write Deposuit, for example, right? Um, and and it rings clearly in the space. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this idea that the history of, of um, voice training is a history of architecture, that these are two phenomena that co-developed. Uh, essentially, it changes. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Um, and so I, I just think it's really like, I'm just a fan of being honest, right? Like I, I, I think this whole study was just an exercise in being honest. It's like, what, what do we actually hear controlling all the other variables? What do we actually hear? And then if we're honest about it, then we can notice it and we can adjust based on it. But if we're honest, like what are the acoustics we're in? We're in very small rooms. It does not make sense to sing loud in a room like this. Like, we should all be going through our ukulele phase right now. That is what every <laughs> one of us should do. And we sh- <laughs> Meanwhile, my wife and I are over here doing nothing but operatic duets. Well, and that is that is a bold statement of faith in the future. And I love you and I respect you for that. Um, but, you know, if, <laughs> if we're being honest about, like, the music we should all be creating right now, we should all be getting out our acoustic guitars. Like Karen says, we should be doing parlor concerts and we should be doing music appropriate for parlor settings. And wow. recording it and putting it yeah. on Facebook and monetizing it. <laughs> <laughs> and there, and there it, is, it is, vocal fam, and and there it is. Uh, anybody have any parting thoughts on this paper before we before we get out of here? None of us had any monetary interest. I just want to say that to everybody. None of us had any monetary interest in any of these four platforms, nor were we trying to harm any of these four platforms. Yeah. It was just we wanted to know what they did. And I, I'll some singing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll say to each one of these platforms also does other stuff. And we basically ignored the other stuff. So, for example, you know, Zoom, yeah. you can have 60 people or whatever in a simultaneous meeting. You can't do that on FaceTime. 
Um, Voice Lessons app has a bunch of other features that are geared towards sort of practical aspects of teaching a voice lesson. We didn't study that at all. Um, Teams is, you know, integrated into their OneDrive and their Skynet. I don't know. They have all these products. Um, <laughs> and like, we didn't care about that. So, so none of these were reviews. This is like, we're not, we're not journalists doing reviews. We're just like exploring what is the actual behavior of these platforms specifically with respect to audio. Yes, that, that, that. Sarah, you have any questions for us since you were not on the paper? Do you have any random quest, rando voice teacher questions for us? No, y'all covered most of it because, I mean, so one of the things reading it just as a lay person was I had no idea what lossy compression was. Um, I Googled it when reading, but not surprisingly, that didn't give me the most in-depth understanding of it. And I think y'all did a really great job of kind of explaining some of the things that someone who just is teaching and is just reading through this and didn't do the research and maybe doesn't have an in-depth working knowledge of just technology and audio processing and things like that. Like, I think I'll covered it pretty well. It, it, it made it more accessible for me listening to this, which is Excellent. nice. <laughs> I think that was our I, goal. I always think the opposite of lossy is lossless. That's the way to think about it. So you either have no loss or you have loss. And so then they call it lossy. And very practically, it's if you save something, it's like an MP3 versus a wave. MP3 would be lossy, wave would be lossless. And you can see the size oh, okay. of the file in your computer. You can see that wave and it, is a larger file than MP3. Yeah, and it, and it totally makes sense. Like once y'all were explaining that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That explains a lot of kind of what, you're ex what I experience working with these different platforms. Um, yeah, because I mean, I've, I know personally, I'm sure a lot of us have been doing this where we've kind of experimented with different platforms over the past few weeks and some of it depending on just you're just doing it. Some of it being I asked students like, OK, what do you have that we can connect on already, even though now I've kind of pushed them all to Zoom. But I would also you know. just like to add that lossy is the word that I dislike the most out of this entire study. It reminds <laughs> me of moist and fun. <laughs> I didn't think it was so, bad. I so I will put lossy in the same category as moist Ooh. and the word fob, I which is characterized on the podcast as the word that I don't like the sound of in the English language. I will put lossy in the same category. <laughs> Honestly, I read it and briefly was like, did they just make yeah, this right. up? Like, did they come up with their own word? Were they like, we, we need a term. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lossy. <laughs> But it's just then I like automatic it. game control. It's the autocorrect of uh, internet voice lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I also uh, encourage people to sort of as a parting thought, um, you know, maybe you have control over what platform you can be on. Maybe you don't. You know, maybe your institution has dictated this for you. Maybe you're an independent teacher and, and there are financial constraints surrounding that. Um, maybe you have control over what microphone uh, or device your student has and maybe you don't maybe you have control over what you use or maybe you don't like there, there's all these limitations right now and so i i just have this this thought so i used to play chess right i um became sort of obsessed about it for a while and so i, I would like read all these books and you know replay all these games and I did that whole thing it got me through a lot of airplane rides when i was touring with chanticleer and there's this thing that i think it was edmund lasker who was a you know world grandmaster uh, I think I think turn of the 20th century somewhere sort of I think after Capablanca but before any of the people whose names we know now and he had he said this thing he said um he was very philosophical about chess 
and he said, um, there is always a best move. There is frequently not a good move. I'm paraphrasing. And so that's really how I think about this problem. Like, there is always a thing you can try to improve it. It is not always going to sound great, right? But you can always try something. And so even if it is become educated about, like, your system preferences panel in Mac or your control panel if you're in Windows, become educated about where the sound pain is for both of those and what the input fader is. Like, just become aware of that, because both of those have visual feedback for the signal coming in. And if, like, if you're on Zoom, you can actually have your student share their screen with you and go to that pane, have them take seven steps back and sing, and you can see how loud their signal is hitting their, their computer. And you can have them lower the intensity of that microphone signal coming in. Like, you can always do that sort of thing. Um, and, and I would say also don't, just because there's so much variability in the rest of it, don't assume a Chromebook is going to sound terrible. Don't assume an Apple product is going to sound great. Yep. You know, it's, it's like you yep. just, you got to try it. And I, th I think if you do it intelligently, you can get through it pretty quickly and, and move on to the voice lesson um, without either sacrificing the student's time as you're trying to work stuff out or without sort of being grumbly about this thing about the sound you can't fix. Because then you just not, well, we can't fix that. So we're not going to try, and we're going to move on to the things we can't do. I mean, listen, I've been trying to fix the way people sing for years, but it... No, oh. never mind. Um, sorry, Chadley, did you yeah, say something? Um, and I was thinking, too, about what we can control, and I, I love how Ian brought it back to that, are all these different variables, and which of them do we actually have control over at any given time? And for me, on the teacher side, I think about, like, how many of the variables can I control going out to my student so that I'm providing a welcoming and professional and and um, uh, interesting, informative environment to them coming out of their side because they're hearing their side in real time in the actual space. So they're actually they're getting this like their side of it. They're getting like the full sound as much as they can when they're singing. Um, and if I can provide them like good sound coming from my side to reassure them that this is a worthwhile thing, because they're not hearing what they, their own sound is like coming back through the signal chain to me. If I can give them, <laughs> this is my new obsession, if I can give them a, a well-lit studio so that they can see me <laughs> and that it doesn't look like I'm like lurking up out of the shadows at them, um, that I can provide this environment that on their screen, on their end of this chain feels like high quality and professional and and reassuring that this isn't, you know, this isn't some wasteland of horribleness. Uh, <laughs> that really has a big impact on, on that. And then for me as the teacher, like knowing what the limitations are and how they're, what I can still listen to. Because um, something we, we talked about, and maybe we didn't say specifically, but these platforms, a lot of them are designed for speaking and so like all of this like compression yeah. and filtering is to try to preserve that bandwidth or speech where that information is. So what can I pick out when everything else is missing? What can I what can I pick out from those few remaining components and um, and listen through? Uh, and so it's been a real fun challenge to like still like pick out exactly which parts of the technique I can pick out even when things are missing. Absolutely, and, and I think that's what what Chadley's saying there is is like it, it like exactly on point that like we and we've all mentioned this in different 
forums or like different, you know, recordings of different things or chats or whatnot. But um, Ian said that we're using this to, that this paper is designed to help define things, um, define what we're listening for, um, how these different platforms change the sound that we hear um, on the, on our end, on the teacher's end. And what Chadley's talking about there, I think is um, essentially that we're, we're teachers, we pick out patterns, that's what we're trained to do. Yeah. And so if we can just define what those patterns are and kind of juxtapose that onto our own models already, oral models already, then we can, we, we can just adapt to it. It's, we might not have all the pieces and there might be certain things like a soprano singing above the staff that will always be a little bit flawed, but that in itself is a pattern. Yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think just absolutely. Piggy, piggybacking on Chadley and Joshua, I think it's totally correct. And there's way worse things that we can do than to just ask our student, how did that feel to you? Because they're there. They hear it and mm -hmm. they they can feel it too as normal. And I think this is an opportunity exactly. uh, for them to take more onus on, on tracking what feels right to them and what feels uncomfortable for them and then using that feedback as a way to inform the teacher's ears because that we're, we're trying to help them develop right. agency anyway and self-efficacy that that's the goal so that they don't need us right. so this is a perfect venue to do so absolutely absolutely anybody one any last moment of thought sarah what'd you yeah. have for breakfast <laughs> Muffins. Oh, wait. But it's a Saturday, of course. Saturday. I was able to make muffins today. Yeah, And I had bought a bunch, like, I bought a bunch of eggs. Not, like, a ton. Like, I wasn't one of those crazy the people that bought, like, I don't even know how many eggs constitutes crazy. Basically, I bought a dozen, not thinking, like, I really don't eat eggs. I so. buy 15 yeah. dozen eggs at a time <laughs> wait, anyway. Wait. I was going to say, uh, Sarah, oh yeah, a dozen is not the lower end of normal. That's... <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I bought I bought some. Actually, what happened was I bought the 18 pack, which was a mistake. I just don't use that many eggs. And so I was like, I have to use these eggs up. And it takes eggs to make muffins. So Wait. I also... Can I ask you a legit question? Because you seem like, yes. like me, you seem like a person who came from a potluck culture. Um, <laughs> have you had deviled eggs? Like, do you know about those? I love them. Right, because you can eggs. eat like a dozen deviled eggs in a sitting, right? I Love okay. eggs. That's not the serving size. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah it's, it's per really? dozen. Right? Actually, that's a good idea because you know that's something my family we always did deviled eggs yeah. for Easter. So. Easter next weekend. I know. I, that's Ooh, what I need to do with all these eggs I bought. <laughs> I don't even know if Jamie. We're solving problems. It's going to be us. <laughs> all of those of you who celebrate, happy Palm Sunday. Well, today, no, tomorrow. But actually, I'm going to drop this tomorrow. I'm going to drop this next Saturday. So happy Easter oh, to all weird. of those who celebrate. <laughs> around the world happy easter weekend technically for those of you who are doing it the right way technically it would dropping it on saturday would be easter vigil but uh anyway oh, right. um, nicholas like is gonna start trying to keep the liturgical calendar clear. you're gonna start a schism like a you're gonna start a schism using words like doing it properly <laughs> no i like the clear liturgical you noise calendars. was divisive anyway yeah right <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, vocal fam, <laughs> what a great day to have the whole gang in the house. And I would just like to say, before they go, 
that all five of these other humans who are in the chat with me, Sarah included, all five of them bless me every day by their chat presence. And I am so thankful for all five of them. I'm so thankful that Ian and Kayla included us on this paper. Um, and uh, so thankful that all of you exist and that, uh, and that uh, we get to chat during our quarantine. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we're um, helping each other get through this. That's, that I do too. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, it's great. And, and cause sooner or later the school year is going to end and then what are we going to do? Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure which one I'm more afraid of, like it to continue on or to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really taking this a week at a time. Just getting yes, by. That's, that's correct. Not looking vocal, that far forward. Vocal fam, Black Widow has officially been pushed to November, so Sarah and I will not do a Black Widow episode until November. Very Sorry. sad about... Well, I mean, I you know... I get it. We, we all get it. I'm, I'm waiting yeah. on the official Wonder Woman Christmas announcement. Um, yeah, right. I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure that'll end up being pushed to a December 18th release is my guess, which will kind of be weird because there's probably all kinds of fireworks because it was supposed to be a 4th of July release. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> also, Vocal Fam, one last thought for you. Onward is on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Go watch Onward. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. It's so good. We watch, We all watched it last night. Last Sarah night, and yeah. Michael and I all watched it last night, and the whole fam watched it. And uh, totally out. worth watching with your kids. It's very heartwarming and and fun. And it's not. It's probably an hour and a half long, and it's just a. It's it's really fun. It was good. Good movie. It's basically Stranger Things in a kids animated movie. It's Dungeons and yeah. Dragons. <laughs> Which is it's Stranger Things. Stranger, yeah, I was going to say, but like it's Dungeons and Dragons first and foremost. Like that, that is it. Right. Anyway, Vocal Fam, that's it. We're, we're, uh, we're out.